So I got into a business that I didn't know anything about. I bought myself a restaurant and a nightclub and I knew nothing about it. The management there, you know, convinced me to come in and invest because they told me that they can run the place and uh, they have the experience. Unfortunately, all of their efforts failed and I lost a decent amount of money in that venture, close to a million dollars, 940,000 to be exact, because it's engraved into my mind. Yeah. Whenever you lose money, <laughs> I remember everyone to the nickel. Totally. Yeah. Yep, so it's $940,000 that I took off of my P&L and my balance sheet on a personal level. But that taught me a lesson that first, you never go into a business that you have no idea how to run it. Number two is there's no such business as an owner absentee business. Even though you're away or you could be remote and whatnot, you need to find the business as much as possible. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Ed Gitlin from New York, New York. He is a principal at Tower Fund Capital and pretty interesting conversation I have with Ed, actually. A couple of things that I picked up from this is the importance of niching. So Ed has gone into a very specific niche in his industry. We talk about how he helps mortgage brokers. This is American-based show, but honestly, it inspired a whole bunch of thinking in my head. And I'm like, how do we do this in Canada? But how he helps mortgage brokers make more money on these sort of these hard money loans or these you know, bridge financing loans. And it's pretty cool, especially when we get into breaking down the numbers and stuff on how it works. So have a listen. And apparently I've already had a conversation with somebody who's like, yeah, you can do that. It's doable in Canada, something similar to this. So I thought, hmm, this is interesting. Uh, before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection platform. Very easy for borrowers to use. It's got a smart doc. So as they're filling out the app, it knows what documents to ask for. It's got smart submission notes. So as they're getting ready to hit submit, it actually pulls key data from the app. And then even before you hit submit, it's connected to the Lender Spotlight, which is the best tool for searching rates and guidelines. Check them out at lendesk.com Finmo. Also in this episode, I talked to Ben McCabe on tips on optimizing a reverse mortgage. So I think you're going to find these conversations interesting. Have a listen and we'll chat soon. Hey, Ed, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. How are you doing? Fantastic. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your business. So just to take you a little bit to the beginning of time, I guess, to this 35-year span, I started as a real estate broker, actually a real estate salesperson, then became a broker in 1985. And in 1989 or at the end of 89, my company, my broker that owned the company was going down. It was going bankrupt. So I had offered another salesperson in my company to buy this with me. We were able to buy the company for $60,000 with a $1,000 down payment and a $59,000 note. So we basically put in $500 a piece. And then we started to work really hard, you know, seven days a week, 18 hour days. And by the time 2008 rolled around, we created an exit. At that time, we owned a real estate company, a mortgage bank, and the title company, we owned all three, so we can find all the, all the deals at once. And we had 450 salespeople with about $650 million worth of revenue. And we exited in 2008 by selling it to Reology, which is a U.S. publicly traded company. Right. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And so then that's what led you into this new venture that you're doing now. Is that correct? Actually, I was doing hard money before in private funding, but I kept this sleeve of the business for myself. I never sold it off. So I kept it going with my own finances and some friends and family. 
Okay. So tell me now, but what is Tower Fund Capital? What do you guys do? And we'll give me more of your story, but I'm interested about that first. Sure. So Tower Fund Capital is a private money fund. We primarily give out hard money, as that's what it's used to called. Now there's a softer term for it, is private funding or bridge lending. We give out money to people that are not qualified through conventional bank or lending institutions. Our scenario primarily is a white knight scenario. Basically, we help people to bail out and put on a Band-Aid before they can go and refinance with a streamlined lender. As Tower Fund, we've been in the business since uh, 2012. And it's a Reg D fund. For those of you that don't know, Reg D funds are basically we're registered with SEC in the United States, a Securities Commission. We are allowed to take uh, investors, we're allowed to take insurance companies, IRAs, all kinds of institutional and private investors. So that's how we build up Tower Fund in order to be able to have enough equity to go out and lend on loans. Right. Okay. So then it's interesting. It used to be called hard money. Now it's called bridge financing, or what else did you call it? Like, all private money, private money, yeah, yeah. private it, money. It doesn't funding. sound as hard money sounds like, ooh, that's going to be, but this, it's like, no, it's anyway, it's all marketing, but that's good. And then, so who's somebody that you typically help or solve a problem for? So we solve problems for people that don't have either property, either is not conforming or the borrower is not conforming. So it could be a couple of ways. The property may not have a CO, may have some judgments on it or violations that we need to cure during the lifetime of our loan. As far as the borrower, it's primarily people that either have a very small cash flow in a property or no cash flow whatsoever, and they don't qualify on the debt to income ratios, or people that actually had fallen on some hard times with their credit, and they had to file either a bankruptcy or a foreclosure or missed more than three or four payments on their loans. So this becomes now a bailout loan that we probably have the strongest niche in the US. Right. And so did your background in owning a title company help you in any way with this? I got to think that there's got to be some understanding, just the nuance of like, how does that relate? So owning the title company obviously helped because you can figure out, you know, if those violations or any title issues that are coming with the loan uh, would bear any kind of negative effect or kind of an adverse actions. Uh, sometimes, you know, people end up in a lawsuit and the banks won't touch them. We basically assess the risk, any adverse action that may happen. Right. And so how big is your team right now then that focuses on doing this type of loan? How many of you are there? Our team is pretty tiny. I believe in running it very slim. Primarily, all our teams are brokers and lenders that are outside talent. Internally, we have about four people from processing underwriting to risk management and to legal. Right. Well, with the type of business that you have, you actually don't need to have a ton of staff. It's more about the expertise, A, getting the deal flow. So you've got you know the network that you built. And then second, just having the expertise to know what deals to take and which ones to pass on. Yeah. 100% yes. So if somebody was like, wanted to understand this better, like when you look at something, because I love to just also be learning for people, what's something that you have learned from looking at so many of these deals that's like an automatic that you guys know is a problem, but the average person wouldn't. Enough, I'm looking for the negative. I'll ask for a positive too, but what's something that people don't think about when they're looking at these types of things? Primarily, sometimes people will come out of a, a more institutional loan, more streamlined lender. And the one thing you got to look at is to understand if they were not able to pay the low interest rate with a streamlined lender or, you know, conventional bank, what makes you think that they'll be able to pay your rate, which is two to three times higher than the bank? Right. So that's the most important thing. How are they going to maintain it? Number one. And what would be the exit strategy? Are they going to have enough equity to get out of your loan to go to the next one, even if it has to be another hard money loan? That's really what's important, because if there is no exit strategy, basically you're going to be stuck with it. 
Right. And I think anytime you're in hard money, your private lending exits are. So can you give me some other examples of exits? Say, like when you look at a situation and then, hey, here's exit one, there's another lender they can go to exit two. What kind of things do you guys think about? So we think about obviously sales. If they stabilize the property and it becomes rentable, they can either sell it or go to a conventional lender. We also look at the fact that if there's programs out there at 70, 75, or 80% loan to value, we know that we'll be able to take them out because our maximum is 65. So they'll have enough equity to go out and get refinanced with a small cash out to float them further. Right. Okay. So exit, anytime you're in this type of business, exit is key. And then you guys, I think you mentioned me, average is one-year term with two renewal, six-month renewal options. But you're really a short term. You don't want to be somebody's 30-year lender, right? That's not... We definitely don't want to be somebody's 30-year lender since we're... And they don't want you to be their 30-year lender either. <laughs> right, exactly. And since we're a leverage fund, we also have some constraints from our credit facilities where we can't keep a loan more than 24 months. Right, I see. So part of that's your agreement with the credit. Okay, so you had a real estate brokerage. And so like, what made you decide that you love this part of it? Why did you sell all the rest of it, but not this money side of it? Well, the real estate brokerage, I really saw that real estate brokerage is really going IT rather than, you know, your neighborhood store where mm -hmm. a consumer would need your help. You know, with time from 1989 to 2008, this transformation of consumer became where they knew more than some of the realtors. And right. they have access to information at their fingertips, which they didn't have before. So I sold the real estate company because I felt that there was no additional value to a real estate broker unless you're negotiating some complex deals. It's different than commercial real estate, obviously. But in residential real estate, with all these uh, websites available, consumer gets to the listing or the property sometimes sooner than the realtor. As right. far as my mortgage bank, I sold that because I didn't want to stay in a compliance business as it was getting harder and harder to maintain. And in a compliance business, you really have to be large enough to sustain the cost that goes with compliance. You know, you could be a small company. There's a heavy administrative burden, which means you need to be big enough for it to make sense, if that makes a lot of sense. That's correct. Your labor force, you have to have an X amount of labor force in order to sustain the compliance. So whether you do one loan a year or you do a thousand loans a year, basically the infrastructure has to be identical. Right. And so is your tower fund capital, or do you do mostly commercial or residential? What's the split? So we do primarily residential. So it's one to four families, then multifamilies and mixed uses. Okay. When I talk about mixed uses, it has to have at least a residential component to it. So it could be commercial on the bottom or residential on top or, you know, in the back and the front, but there's got to be a residential component for it to classify it to, for a mixed use. Right. Okay. So before we dive into the rest of your story, can I ask you what a quote that's had an impact on your life or business? The quote, I think... The best quote I have, and I got to read it just because it's in Latin. You read Latin? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's called... All of our loan documents are in Latin, too. You can't read them, it's not our problem. I'm just kidding, you don't do that. Yeah, so the quote is, Ot viem inveniem oct faciem. I'm sorry for that Latin. I probably screwed it up and butchered it, but it means I will either find a way or make one. And who said that? I have heard that before, but I thought it was this guy Hannibal, which was a general back in like third... You know, <laughs> I'm not 100% sure who said yeah. that, but that quote always stuck with me. And I always felt that if you run any kind of a business, and if you are a true entrepreneur and a true businessman, this quote has to fit everybody. Yeah, I love that quote, actually. Okay, so how have you applied that to your life or business? Majority of this quote that I applied was basically through mergers and acquisitions. 
I basically found a way to acquire or merge companies that were not doing as well. So you can create an exit strategy for their current ownership or to help them scale their company in order to make them stronger. And between 94 and 2008, I did about 12 acquisitions and mergers between the real estate companies and mortgage companies and so on. And now actually we had just issued about four or five LOIs for new companies to merge and acquire just because in the times like this, I feel is really the opportunity when everybody's shaky, people are unsure. It's a great opportunity for people to come in and do an acquisition. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or mergers and basically reduce their cost base and stuff. So can you share something that you failed at, but now looking back, there was a lesson in it for you? So I got into a business that I didn't know anything about. I bought myself a restaurant and a nightclub and I knew nothing about it. The management there, you know, convinced me to come in and invest because they told me that they can run the place and uh, they have the experience. Unfortunately, all of their efforts failed and I lost a decent amount of money in that venture, close to a million dollars, 940,000 to be exact, because it's engraved into my mind. Yeah, whenever you lose money, <laughs> I remember everyone to the nickel, totally. Yep, yep. so it's $940,000 that I took off of my PL and my balance sheet on a personal level. But that taught me a lesson that first, you never go into a business that you have no idea how to run it. Number two is there's no such business as an owner absentee business. Even though you're away or you could be remote and whatnot, you need to wind the business as much as possible. Right. You need to be paying attention to it. I've heard the quote before that if you want to make a small fortune, start with a large one and get into the restaurant business. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. That's very good. I think that's, that's true. So yeah, that's awesome. So I guess so the lesson in this was just don't get into stuff you don't know and you can't be completely a passive thing. So what's the best change you made to your business in the last 12 months? The best change that I made was opening a new venue or a new sleeve in a business where I allowed brokers and lenders to piggyback on my credit facility and participate in the loans. So what happens is a lot of the mortgage brokers are positioning themselves in front of the consumer as a lender. However, they sell off the loan right away to a real lender. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to give them the ability to face the consumer as a lender for the time life of the loan. So what we did was we offered them to come in and piggyback on our credit line by putting in 10 to 20% of equity piece. And this way they would be considered a real lender as leveraged as we are. And I think that was the best thing we did in the last 12 months because it brought an enormous amount of business to us, brought us loyalty from lenders and brokers. Brokers are able to create a much better monetizing on their deals because when you leverage that four to one or 10 to one, you basically can on your money, upwards of 29 to 35%. Okay, so I got to dive into this. I know people listening, like, oh, deep, stop the bus. I think I understand how this works, but tell me like I'm 10. So I'm a mortgage broker and I got clients and I want to be able to offer these sort of creative loans or these loans that you guys do. So I would bring the client, but then I would also put money into your fund, if I understand it correctly. And right. then you and I together would lend the money out. And then we'd both make money on that loan. And then the client would come to me as the lender. So do you have the administrative burden of managing that client and the payments or what happens in that scenario? So primarily a lot of the brokers choose for us to service the loan. So that's our administrative burden, but that's okay. We don't mind that at all. It's part of the life in this business. Some brokers want to service the loans themselves. If they have an experience, we do allow them. If they don't have an experience, you know, we first, you know, establish a track record for them and then they can go and swim on their own. 
So then I think you had said to me before we turned this on, the average loan size was like a million bucks or something, you know, seven to hundred to 1.2 now. So if I got a million dollar loan that I'm offering, I have my own mortgage company. And if I put my 200 grand in, how much would I need to put in on a, the loan? Let's just walk through a scenario sure. just to give me a sense of like, I think this will be helpful. So yeah, walk me through what that would look like. Sure. So we have two options. You can put in 10% of the loan or 20% of the loan. Obviously, the bigger, more I put in, the better return I get, right? Well, the more you put in, the less of a rate you get so that the return could be large, correct? Okay. So if I put in 10%, so then what would that look like? So let's say I got a million dollar loan. They'll make math easy. I give you a hundred grand. It's one of my clients. I know them. They just need this solution. I put in a hundred grand. You guys lend them a million. What would I get on a return on something like that? So let's just work with a little bit of real numbers. If it's a million dollar loan, right? We used to yeah. lend at 12%. Now we lend it at about 14%. So let's say we lend it at 14% because that's the hard money rate today because of everything yeah. going up. And if you're listening to this, it changes. So like, again, our show, these are here long-term, but we're just doing this for case study purposes. That's correct. The borrower will pay you within the 12 month, will pay $140,000. Okay. Now you as a broker, if you put in 100,000, we will lend you the money, let's say for argument's sake, for easy mathematics at 10%. Because you're nine to one leverage, you have 100,000 towards your million dollars. I mean, 10 to one leverage, I apologize. Okay. Basically what happens is you have a spread of 4% between 14% that the borrower is paying you and 10% that you're paying me. Right. So I'm making the 4% on the full million, but I'm only paying you 10% on the full million. Correct. correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. So you're making $140,000, but you're paying me 10% on $900,000 because $100,000 of it is yours. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of the day, your expense would be $90,000 to me. You collected $140,000. That's $50,000 spread that you made on your $100,000. That's 50% return. Right. Okay. And that, boys and girls, is how you print money. That's right. <laughs> Class dismissed. But obviously, you need to have clients that A, trust you, B, that you have these types of loans. And then if it's 20%, if I put down 200000 what would it look like on that? Now it would be 800000 10% on 800000 Well, no, your, your rate would change. We would have dropped it by two points. So your rate yeah. is going to be 8% on 800000 So that's $64,000. Yeah. And you're making one hundred and forty on the other end. So you're making $76,000 profit. Right. So when brokers find out about what you're doing and they understand how this works and they've got the right type of clientele, like how easy is it for the wheels to click and go like, oh, why didn't you think of this sooner, man? This seems like such a good idea. It is a great idea. And a lot of brokers take advantage of it. The ones that actually want to grow their equity position and grow their piggy bank. Primarily, a lot of the brokers, we signed up about 14 brokers in the last 10 months. But primarily, a lot of the brokers are not looking to the future. Brokers, they have a tendency of living today and not really caring about what's going to bring tomorrow. And that's one of the downfalls of the brokerage business. Yeah. Yeah. We're not a lot different than realtors. We make fun of realtors, but we're really the same. We're just like, eat what we kill. We don't think very far ahead in general. You know, there's right. some exceptions to the rule. That's exactly and right. And I even tell my brokers, I said, look, I said, realistically, if you put 10% down and if you're charging the borrower two points, you really bring in 8%. Right. You know, so we're not even talking about fees on this either. I'm just talking about pure margin between the arbitrage of what I'm paying you and what I'm paying the borrower. This is just fascinating to me. I'm glad we jumped into that. So 
who's your ideal client then? Somebody who's listening to this, if they're like, huh, obviously you got to be in the US. What states are you in? And then who's your ideal client? We're nationwide. However, we concentrate on Europe, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and Florida. We're staying away from California at the moment because of some licensing regulations. But who's my client? So on the business to business end, my client is a broker and a lender or a bank who cannot do the loan that we can do. So basically, if it doesn't fit their credit box and they usually throw those things in the garbage, now they can monetize on them by giving us this business. Right. So what's something you're planning to work on or change in the next 90 days? What am I changing in the next 90 days? My change right now is concentration on vertical mergers and acquisitions, basically stacking on top of the company in all debt fields. So we're looking at MCA companies, we're looking at licensed lenders, we're looking at uh, some other transactional companies like title companies, anything that can bring me an auxiliary business and diversify the risk. Right. But it's got to be vertical, not horizontal. The worst thing that a businessman can do is grow horizontal. So how would you define vertical versus horizontal? So vertical is very simple. You have a proof of concept that works, now stack on top of it. Just repeat, repeat by scaling. And if you're buying the same or like business, just repeat what you did in the first one because it's foolproof. Vertically is when your business is not doing so well, you have a failing business or you have a mediocre business. And now you think if you're going to open up in a different state or county, you will double up. And what you're going to double up on is really the losses. Right. Because your initial business does not have any proof of concept or any kind of stability. So any of these other things that you get into, they could feed the thing we're talking about, that machine that basically makes money for both of you. Like if title companies or these other types of lenders could feed you deal flow potentially, is that what you're thinking? There's opportunities for that? or Sure. I mean, the total synergy and interlocked as far as the revenue, right? So if let's say we have an MCA company that we own, an MCA company, the guy- What is an MCA? Because I don't know what that means. So if I don't know something I was going to ask, what do you mean by MCA? MCA is a merchant cash advance that we have in America. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I know what that is. I just didn't know. Merchant cash, so, cash advance company. Right. So for argument's sake, if we own a merchant cash advance company and uh, the guy is in it usually short term for a very high interest rate, right? The interest rate could be hitting 40%. Yeah. What you want to do is you want to give him that money, but you also want to exit him out of the merchant cash advance to lower his interest rate. So if he doesn't own just a business and he owns any real estate, you know, once you sign them up to the merchant cash advance and he's paying on time, you can approach him and say, hey, you know what, why don't we now loan to your real estate and bring it from 40% to 14, okay? Bring I it down. And then he pays there for six months to nine months, okay? Within six months seasoning, you can now start bringing him to a non-QM product or a conventional product and lower his interest rate to 5% or 6%. So it's really a good service for the borrower or the client, but it's also a great business model because your acquisition cost of a lead or a client is once, but you can funnel that lead four or five times. Right. You can serve them four or five times throughout their life cycle, kind of the path that they're on. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So I'll ask some rapid fire questions that you can answer with shorter answers. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? Persistence, perseverance. I think that's really what it's supposed to be. I've knocked my head against the walls many times and I keep on knocking them, but you know what? I keep on knocking those walls and eventually they fall. The wall break. Okay. What's a movie everybody should watch at least once? Wolf of Wall Street. What's a program, a software, a digital tool you can't run your business without? Excel. And then what do you think is going to happen with rates in the next 12 months? I think they're going to go up through the first quarter, and then I think they're going to stabilize or come down. 
Right. That seems to be a common consensus right now. If you could go back in time, your first day as a mortgage broker or what you're doing now, rather, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, compound your interest. Never sell real estate investments. I know, own. right? Oh, my gosh. If I could have kept everything I owned, I'd be sitting on and, a beach sipping pina coladas. And always leverage to the max if you know how to control the risk. Right. Absolutely. That's awesome. And so where can people find you if they listen to this and they're like, hey, this is an interesting concept. How could they reach out to see if this is something that they could put in their business? So they can look us up on our website, taofundcapital.com, or they can reach out to us by phone. We are in New York City, Midtown. It's uh, 646-564-3499. And they can speak directly to me if need to be. Okay, awesome. Well, hey, man, it's been uh, awesome to chat with you, Ed. I appreciate it. I love your creativity and how you're basically solving your guys' deal flow problem, the mortgage broker's problem, and the client's problem, (laughs) and everybody's winning. So it's fantastic. Appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for the opportunity to be on your show. Hey, thanks again for listening to that conversation with Ed. And definitely got my wheels turning in terms of like, huh, is that possible in Canada? What would that look like? And so if you figure this out, if you have an idea, reach out to me. I'd love to hear what you're doing with this. And this is why I love just, sometimes these ideas are just like, okay, you can't do it. But sometimes it's like, oh, maybe there is some angle here that could make sense. And I love when you can, you know, innovate within your own market from ideas across the border. In this next segment, talk to Ben McCabe about tips on optimizing a reverse mortgage. Hey, Ben, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, good to be back. So, hey, let's chat today about, we're talking about this with some tips to optimize a reverse mortgage. So this is really for helping the clients, you know, optimize it based on kind of what's going on with the market and stuff. So yeah, what, yeah, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? The market's looking a lot different than it was a year ago, right? And so the advice that we're giving to clients is different in terms of how to sort of best use the product and how to sort of, yeah, optimize it for, you know, the best outcomes for them financially and otherwise. So, you know, I think the first thing that we're suggesting people do, which is something we weren't suggesting a year ago, is to take our three or a one-year term. So, like, up until this point, it's been 95% of our customers have been taking the five-year term because for a couple of reasons, one of which is that, you know, the five-year historically had the highest loan authorization amount. But then also people also thought that, you know, rates were just going to go in one direction from where they were. But if you look at the yield curve right now and we look at our models, we actually think that basically in a year from now, we're going to be resetting rates down a full 100 basis points. So for example, right now, if somebody were to get into a one-year rate reverse mortgage, which is for us right now at 7.88%, what our models suggest, now obviously it's not, it's not a guarantee, would be that we're actually going to be notching them down to 6.88 in a year from now. So we're definitely suggesting borrowers take a look at the three or one year versus the five. Actually, that ties into, had a chat with Jim Chalukas recently, and he tends to be putting a lot of people in one and two-year terms right now for that very reason. Uh, if you notice that True North came out with a six-month term, yeah. right? And so it's kind of like, hey, don't make a long-term commitment when there's short-term volatility. So it makes sense that you should look at the same on a reverse mortgage. So, okay, that's a good adjustment based on what's going on. What other things are you recommending to optimize? Yeah. So, I mean, if you rewind about a year ago, almost everybody was taking the full amount that was available to them because, I mean, rates were so low, right? So we'd say, you know, you have $400,000 available. Almost everybody was taking the full 400. But we're having conversations with clients now about, you know, you don't necessarily need to take that full amount right? Especially with rates where they are today. Take what you need, maybe take a little bit extra to be safe, enough of for whatever you need over the next, call it 12 to 18 months. And then you can come back later for more, right? If you come back later, there's no fees from a broker perspective, it's full commission. It's the advantage of having sort of like the subsequent advance structure in the reverse mortgage product. You don't need to take it all up front. So let's say they're approved for 400. 
and they take out 200 today, what's the involved in them getting the extra? They're like, oh, I want another 100 grand a year from now. What do they do? For us, it's a pretty simple process. It's, you know, you give us a call. We ask you some questions, make sure your property taxes, insurance are up to date. You know, ask a few other questions, but usually it's typically a 24-hour turnaround. We don't do a, you know, a full new appraisal or anything like that. And you just drop the money in their bank account? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quite simple. And then do you pay the broker on that too, or how does that work? Yeah, the broker gets full freight commission, so there's no difference. Right. Oh, that's cool. So it's not like a line of credit, really, except that it's a line of credit that you get paid later. They don't pay you usually once this thing's set up. They only pay you at the front end. So that's interesting. All right. So take a shorter term, look at taking the max approval, but not taking the max money. What other kind of ideas do you have for optimizing? So obviously, a lot of people are using the reverse mortgage to pay out an existing mortgage. What we are advising people, which is kind of what I just said, is you know if there is excess proceeds available after paying out that mortgage use that excess proceeds to clear the decks, right? In terms of all the other sort of unsecured trades, you know, the credit cards, the unsecured lines of credit. It makes no sense in today's environment to be paying, you know, high interest debt service, especially for seniors in a high inflation environment when people are getting squeezed on prices. Clear the decks of all those sort of unsecured trade lines. And then, you know, you have that dry powder available in the event there's anything sort of unforeseen that comes up over the next couple of years. Right. That makes a lot of sense, actually. So is this what you're seeing when you're talking to brokers and clients? This is some of the stuff that is predominant. It's coming, uh, this yeah. stuff is coming up on almost every deal. We're having these conversations. The last thing I would suggest for people is that even if the client is sort of still thinking, not really sure if it's the right move for them, just go through the process and lock in a commitment today. For us, you know, an appraisal is good for 100 days. You know, the rate's good for 60 days. In the context of, you know, softening home prices and rising rates, I really don't think that clients that are looking for a reverse mortgage in Canada today are going to get a better deal than they would today in the next 12 to 18 months. So I would say, you know, if people are thinking about it, even if they're not sure, do the application, lock in the commitment right now. Right. And so you said 100 days on appraisal and 60 days on rates? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense because then it gives you time to like get your ducks in order. So yeah, I think that's great. I love that you guys are actually thinking about how do you solve the client's problem. So this is all comes back to like, you know, serving your client where they are in the market that we're in. And so I'll do a quick recap for you. I know sometimes you do, but so take a shorter term, right? So that you can then look at adjusting your rates down. And a lot of the smart mortgage brokers right now are also doing the same thing. So this is not a bad strategy. Don't necessarily take the full amount. And then if you get excess funds outside of a mortgage, then use that to clear everything. It's just going to be better in this environment to have less payments. Does that sound about right? Yeah. These are the conversations we're having with clients all the time. Sweet. Okay. And we're listening to this. If you guys go check out Bloom Finance, bloomfin.ca, Ben and his team have amazing support as well as service for brokers and help you guys out with your reverse mortgages. And as Ben said, if you've got a client who's kind of considering, just say, hey, look, let's get the value of your home locked in and the rate locked in right now. And you don't have to decide right now, but at least we can have that done. So I think that's a smart thing to do. Thanks, Ben, for coming chat with me. Thanks, Gon. All right. Thanks again for having a listen to this show. If you are a listener and you want to go find all the past episodes and keyword search, all of them and find literally every golden nugget in these shows, go to ilovemortgagebroking.com, set up a free power search account, and you can keyword search all of the episodes. It's very cool. And if you've listened to that episode with Ed and you're like, man, I know how to do that. Reach out to me. I want to talk to you. Send me an email. Scott, I love mortgage brokering. I'd love to hear how you are doing something similar. Thanks again for listening to the show and we'll see you in the next episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.